الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين نحمده ونستعينه ونعوذ به من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فهو المهتد ومن يضلل فلن تجد له وليا مرشدا وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد يحيي ويميت بيده الخير وهو على كل شيء قدير وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا ونبينا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله وما كان الله ليعذبهم وأنت فيهم وما كان الله معذبهم وهم يستغفرون من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له ومن يتوكل على الله فهو حسبه نعم المولى ونعم الحسيب أما بعد أيها المؤمنون Today and tomorrow and this week many Muslims are in memory of Al-Isra Wal-Mi'raj The night journey from Mecca to Al-Quds, Jerusalem and onwards from Al-Quds to Sidrat Al-Muntaha the last possible place where life can exist, where life can be. And obviously on this occasion, whether it is in khutbas or whether it is in presentations or even conversations, much of the talk or much of the discussion overlooks the overall context in which this miracle occurred. And so in the few minutes we have in our khutbah on this Friday, we will try to reconstruct the context and then appreciate this miraculous event <coughs> our beloved prophet may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him many times is sort of overlooked in the details of his life the details that led up to al-isra and al-mi'raj to take a general view society's approach to him in the first instance was to win him over to them to try to have him part of them enticing him with what is material and physical. They sent his uncle to him to speak to him. They, sm- sp- they sent other 
individuals to try to have him reduce or eliminate the functions of justice in his message. And obviously the Prophet, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, did not fall into their trap. With Allah's guidance, the ayah number 64 in Surah Al-Ankabut, وَإِنَّ الدَّارَ الْآخِرَةَ لَهِيَ الْحَيَوَانُ لَوْ كَانُوا يَعْلَمُونَ Indeed, the coming residence, the final residence in the world to come is both lives, both lives. Meaning, this life, really it's not, it doesn't count. This life and the coming life, both of them are the life to come. If only they knew these people who are coming and trying to bribe him or trying to convince him to stay with the way the status quo of that society dictates. Then, when they knew that was not going to happen, the Prophet ﷺ stood firm on principle. No politics here, no, let's do this and that, no, none of that. So, those who are in charge of society changed their tactics. They said, okay, now what we will do, we will try to convince the public mind especially those who are with the prophet now that this is a dubious person they wanted to plant doubts in the public mind so they confronted him after being nice to him now they turned and they were not nice anymore and they said no you're not a prophet you're not a messenger from Allah. See the, the how they deal with individuals who stand on principle. They come to them with a carrot first. If the carrot doesn't work, then they try to go in the direction of the stick. And those who are in denial of Allah's authority for justice and power of execution for justice, they say, Lasta Mursala, you're not you're not sent by Allah. Allah tells him in this case it's enough that Allah witnesses is a witness over me and over you this is in surah Rad, ayah 43 now when the carrot when they tried to smile in his face to change his position and then they tried to lie to him to change his position then they turned violent And in their violence, the Prophet had to go through excommunication, isolation, rejection. His followers, Ammar, Sumayya, Yasser, Yemenis who came to Mecca, tortured to death, except Ammar, father, mother tortured and the prophet was living with this the torture of those who belonged to him was tantamount to the torture of himself and then the propaganda began to swirl around him one saying oh you're a 
poet. Another time saying, oh no, you're a magician. Another time saying, no, you are some person who was, who has plagiarized the scriptures of old. This type of, we're saying these just in a few minutes. What we are trying to explain is the course of many years in which Allah's beloved Prophet was living in the middle of all of this. And then, as if that was was not enough, the year of sorrow came to the Prophet, the year in which his comforting wife passed away and his protective uncle passed away. In the same year, when all of these elements came to the fore, imagine how much psychological pressure he was under. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals words of comfort to his dearest prophet. وَلَا تَكُوا فِي ضَيْقٍ مِمَّا يَمْكُرُونَ Don't be stressed out. Don't feel uneasy because of their conspi- because of what they are conspiring. See the word makr in the Quran, conspiracy. It's a fact of life. And this portion of history should teach us what the Prophet was going through. إِنَّ اللَّهَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ اتَّقَوْا وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ مُحْسِنُونَ Allah is with those who are guarding themselves concerning Allah's power and are trying to do their best in that regard. إِنَّ اللَّهَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ اتَّقَوْا وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ مُحْسِنُونَ Now you may hear this ayah, but if you don't hear it in the details of the Prophet's life, you cannot appreciate its comforting meaning. So when all of this is going on, Allah Azza wa Jal reveals an ayah in the Quran that speaks to us about what happened in this context to Allah's Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. At the beginning of Surah Al-Isra, Allah says, Subhana Ladi Asra Bi'abdihi Layla Min Al-Masjid Al-Harami Ila Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. first word in this ayah is subhan. The word subhan means that Allah is exceptionally unique in himself, in his attributes and descriptions, and in what he does. We we cannot understand, we can approximate understanding, but we cannot understand the depth of Allah Jalla wa'ala. And that's when the word should be used. When something, you can't understand it, it goes against your conventional thoughts, the first word that should come to your mind if you are educated by the Quran is the word Subhan. Because Allah is unique. He can do things we cannot do. So this traveling from Mecca, I mean, yes, from Mecca to Al-Quds and then on to the heavenly reality 
is something that is not normal. No human being can think about this. Think about doing it. There were other in the, our books of history and references, there are other references to miracles that the Prophet performed. But the miracle that is mentioned in the Quran is this one because it belongs to a context. And we are not supposed to be focusing our faith around miracles. The Prophet taught us that Allah is embedded in our will and through his presence in what we do, Allah will determine the outcome. So in this case, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when the Prophet thought the whole world is against him, his people rejected him. By and large, few followed him, yes, but numerically few. The population of Mecca said no to him. They said no to his followers and some of them had to go to Al-Habasha and the Prophet himself went to a Ta'if where he was pelted with stones, when he was mocked and made fun of. So when the whole world was closing its doors on Allah's Prophet, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was opening his door for him. He said, come, come to me. And this is, this is something, this is a lesson that we should learn from this occasion. Because this occasion epitomizes the relationship and the accomplishments of Allah's prophets with Allah. We human beings, everyone, when we think about how things happen in this world, there's a cause and an effect. Cause and effect. But when we are patient with Allah, the dynamic of cause and effect is stretched so much that in our language, miracles occur. In the lifetime of Prophet Ibrahim when his society was fed up with him, they wanted to do away with him. So what did they decide to do? Let's throw him in the fire. Think for a moment. If it was Allah's will, Ibrahim could have ran away. Allah would have communicated to him, this is what's going to happen, leave. No, that didn't happen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have, when they ignited their bonfire, that big fire, he could have caused the atmospherics to change, it could have rained and the fire was extinguished. It did not happen. What happened? What happened was a demonstration that when Ibrahim's commitment to Allah was so sincere and so sustained that Allah changed his own rules, his own physical rules because of Ibrahim's psychology. When Prophet Musa السلام, Allah said before that, Allah said to the fire that burns, everyone knows it burns. 
when they threw Ibrahim into it, Ya narukuni bardan wa salaman ala Ibrahim. O fire become a source of coolness and tranquility for Ibrahim. This is something no one can do. And when the physical laws change in a way we cannot understand, that is the moment when we say Allah is exceptionally unique. Subhanallah. When Musa alayhi salam, when he was escaping the forces of the superpower of that time, finally, when the superpower caught up with Musa, Musa's people looked at him and said to him, Inna lamudrakun. They've caught up with us. They're catching up with us. فَلَمَّا تَرَاءَ الْجَمْعَانِ قَالَ أَصْحَابُ مُوسَىٰ إِنَّا لَمُدْرَكُونَ When the two aggregates, the troops of the Pharaoh and the refugees with Musa, when they were within sight of each other, the companions of Musa said, Inna lamudrakun. They're thinking just like any human being thinks. What do you think? I mean, these are poor people, nothing to protect themselves, running away from probably the most significant military on earth. Here is where cause and effect run through the human mind. What are you going to do? So what was Musa's answer? He said, absolutely not. With me is my sustainer and he will guide. Sayyahdini, in another qira'ah, he will guide me. A parenthetical observation here is, Musa didn't say, Inna ma'ana rabbana sayyahdina, with us is our sustainer. He said, with me is my sustainer. This indicates there was a psychological distance between Musa and his own followers. Inna ma'ya rabbi sayahdeen. So what happened? When you think cause and effect, this is it. There's a, there, the troops are there. We can see them. And in front of us, there's this sea. What, how, how can we get out of this? Allah revealed to Musa, anidrib bi'asaka al-bahr fanfalaq. فَكَانَ كُلُّ فِرْقٍ كَالطَّوْدِ الْعَظِيمِ Allah says to him, place your staff into the waters of the sea, and then what happened was, it parted, the sea parted, and each part was like a towering mountain. This is not, these are not physical laws. Why did these physical laws change? Because there was a determination, a God-given and God-guided determination by Ibrahim, by Musa, by Isa, by Muhammad, by the other prophets. May Allah's peace and blessings be upon them to stay with Allah. You, you, the other quote-unquote miracles that happened. How did, why did they happen? Because Ibrahim and Musa and Isa and Muhammad 
they had a theoretical understanding of who Allah is or because they invested their time, their effort, their life, all that Allah has given them on principle, they invested it with Allah. If if I wanted to express this in a crude language, and I hope people don't understand the wording of this, but to help some people grasp this meaning, these prophets forced Allah to change his laws. That's a crude way of saying, no one can force Allah, obviously. Don't let some simplistic mind out there understand that we are saying that prophets impose their will on Allah. No! But to grasp this, you have to sacrifice your time, your effort, and then after an extended period, not some of like some of us, we want to retire. Has anyone heard of a prophet or a messenger that ever retired? But that's the mentality and psychology of the cause and effect Muslims around. Oh, they put in their years of youth, Fisabilillah, and now they want to go on vacations or they want to spend time playing such a game or the other sport or this thing or the other. This is not this is not what is expected of those who are living with Allah and by Allah. Subhana. So this historical prophetic lesson climaxed when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told his beloved and last prophet, come on this night journey to me, come to me. So the cause and effect that we human beings have is not the cause and effect that applies to divinity and to divine authority. It's different. To give an example, people understand sometimes better when you give examples. A baby comes up to you and hits you with all his might. And then a boxer comes up to you and hits you with all his might. Can you compare all the might of a baby with all the might of a boxer? No comparison. The actions were the same. But the results were different. When a baby hit you, you probably smiled and laughed. When, when the boxer hits you, you probably cried and were taken to the hospital. So if we can understand the difference of cause and effect in our own human society, can we not take the analogy and say, how is this to play out if we were to put it in the context of divinity and its authority? When the Prophet of Allah told his people the following morning, Usriyabi, I was taken on a status night journey. Oh, they asked, so what, what, what do you mean? Then I went from Mecca to Al-Quds, and then from Al-Quds I went to heaven. They laughed. Just like, you know, people probably that pass by here, they laugh. They say, well, these people. The Prophet was with Allah, and being with Allah was paid off in that fashion. But they told him, it takes us weeks. We exhaust our mounts. 
camels, horses. We exhaust our mounts for weeks to reach Jerusalem. And you're telling us that during the course of this past night you went to Jerusalem and you're insulting us further by saying you went from Jerusalem to heaven. This is what happens when you encounter a materialistic and a worldly-centric society, people. This is what happens. And when you come close, when we all come close to meriting Allah's interference with His own physical laws, when some of us come close to that, we want to retreat. We want to say, no, let's look for another way out of what we are in. What more, if you understand your prophet and you understand his history and the way his own people and his own community dealt with him, then you would probably, if you were honest to yourself, you would probably say, I cannot be the follower of this prophet. That's the physical, materialistic, worldly-centered individual who, of course, prays and fasts and does all of these personal rituals. But if you understand that your responsibility is a lifelong responsibility, and this lifelong responsibility is discharged in the presence of Allah subhana, then you know His laws will apply when He decrees that they apply, not when you want them to apply. وَأَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهَ لِي وَلَكُمْ وَدْعُوهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَأَنْتُمْ عَلَى يَقِينٍ بِالْإِجَابَةِ وَتُوبُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَوَّابٌ رَحِيمٌ الحمد لله الذي هدى وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا المصطفى وعلى آله وصحبه أولي النهى وأولي التقى Dear committed brothers and sisters When our beloved prophet was living the same life that we have Allah has given us life he gave our prophet life our dear prophet was not isolated from the events he wasn't saying don't think of what's happening in the world today's presentation of Islam from the minbar is either to think about your own self in the world don't go beyond that or think about the world to come and skip this world that's in contradiction to the quran and to the prophet take for example today's khutbah in al-masjid al-haram in mecca the khatib was this person called sudais he gave a khutbah and he turned emotional and he began crying. This is what happens with Muslims who are behind the events. They cry as an expression of their weakness. It's healthy for Muslims to cry. Don't get me wrong. I, we have nothing against tears flowing on your cheeks because of the khashya of Allah or the khushua for Allah there's nothing wrong with that actually it's recommended but when you cry out of weakness you're an embarrassment 
And this person stands on the minbar in Al-Masjid Al-Haram in Mecca, where all our initial history unfolded. And he begins to say dua for the Muslims in Al-Ghuta, for the Muslims in Libya, in Yemen, in this place and in that place. And O oh Allah, release your wrath upon the enemies of the Muslims. Well, if you have just a little working mind, no one's expecting you to be a philosopher on the minbar, even though that would add to your credentials. But can't you tell the Muslims who these enemies are? We can't just take that little step forward. Instead of keeping all of these years, the generalization from the minbar about these en- these unknown enemies. Kazim al-Tughat al Those are his words. The regime now that is that stands exposed, hopefully, to the overwhelming majority of people in the world with its acts. Put one of its renowned scholars in prison. We mentioned his name a couple of times before at least. Sheikh Salman Al-Awda. Put this person in prison. Why did it put this person in prison? Well, his son made it known in the past week or so because of a tweet. And I will read you that tweet. When the when President Trump last year went to Arabia, after he left, there was a break in relationships between the kingdom that rules Mecca and Medina and the rulers in Qatar. They turned enemies of each other. Now listen, these are the same types of Muslims. There's no fiqhi difference here. We're not speaking about Sunnis and Shi'is. We're not speaking about Hanafis and Shafi'is. We're not speaking about Muslims and non-Muslims. We're speaking about the same type of people. In their fiqh, in their schools, in their education, in everything. And they became enemies. So after that, this Shaykh, Salman al-Awda, said, رَبَّنَا لَكَ الْحَمْدُ لَا يُحْصَى ثَنَاءٌ عَلَيْكَ أَنْتَ كَمَا أَثْنَيْتَ عَلَى نَفْسِكَ O our sustainer, all praise is due to you. We cannot tally the praise that is due to you. You are praised in the manner that you praise yourself. Okay, that's fine. I don't think this got on anyone's nerves. But here's what, what caused him to be thrown into prison. Allahumma alif bayna qulubihim lima fihi khayru shu'ubihim. O Allah, reconcile their hearts. Meaning the rulers of Saudi Arabia and the rulers of Qatar. O Allah, reconcile their hearts for the benefit of their peoples. Why do you throw a person in prison because of that? That's what they did. And that's what no one wants to speak about. Don't we have some backbone in us to say, what is going on? Why is this happening? And then, this past week or so, this president here calls the king in Arabia, the demented king, and tells him something like this. You better solve your difference or differences with Qatar within three weeks so that we can all together concentrate our efforts against Iran. 
Now, is there is there anyone blaspheming if they mention something like this in a khutbah? Are we saying something out of line? Another thing they don't want mentioned, they don't want you to think about. There's a Palestinian prisoner. His name is Abdullah Fuad al-Nahal. Palestinian prisoner. He writes to a Sheikh Salman al-Awda, a Saudi prisoner. A Palestinian prisoner corresponding with a Saudi prisoner. To cut the correspondence short, he says to him, in my cell, the Palestinian is speaking to the Saudi, in my cell, standing at the door, is a cell keeper by the name of Moshe. That's Hebrew for Musa. وَعَلَىٰ بَابِ زَنْزَانَتِكَ يَقِفُ سَجَّانٌ إِسْمُهُ مُحَمَّدٌ And at the door of your cell is a warden by the name of Muhammad, a cell keeper by the name of Muhammad. اِخْتَلَفَتِ الْأَسْمَاءِ The names are different. وَتَشَابَهَتِ الْقُلُوبِ But the hearts are similar. The religions are different, but the oppression, the zulm, is the same. And oppression has no deen. This statement from an unknown, I mean, we know his name, but he's not a person who's known in the public. This statement by a Palestinian prisoner has the meanings that many of the scholars who are Islamic cannot express or will not express to the Muslims or to the world. His education is way beyond these ritualistic scholars. Ever since the President of the United States went to the Arabian Peninsula, we have enemies now. Allah tells us we are brothers. إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ ikhwa. But we become enemies. We, we're not permitted to see why Allah is telling us we are brothers and why are we becoming enemies of each other? That's prohibited. We can't trace what is happening to us. So now the Saudis and their animosities of the Qataris, meaning the officials, they want to build a canal. They want to dig a canal between Qatar and the Arabian Peninsula to make Qatar an island. Because if you look at the map, Qatar is attached to the Arabian Peninsula by one side. If you build a, if you dig a canal there, it becomes an island. And that's what they want to do. Where do all of these bright ideas come from? Are these ideas of fraternity, of brotherhood, of togetherness. If we look at something like that and we read an ayah that says, We see there's a contradiction. We're supposed to, to make believe there's no contradiction? Or never discover that there is a contradiction to begin with? The two sons of the President of the United States attended a wedding in Dubai. I don't know if this made it to the mainstream media. I don't know if you know about it, but it's one of these things, obviously, that Muslims are not supposed to think about. There's a, a real estate mogul worth $5.2 billion in the United Arab Emirates 
whose daughter, her name is Amira, is getting married. And so this is, these are the type of people who attend these types of weddings. Who's becoming brothers of whom? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِخْوَةً And another ayah says, or hadith says, kufri Why do we find that understanding these ayat and these hadiths is not what we see in the real world? Now let's get down to some numbers in the few minutes that we have left. What do you say about an Arabian kingdom, Saudi Arabia, that has the third largest defense budget in the world. Only the US and China spend more on defense in that country. Its population, they say they have about 30 million population. That's with everyone who's from outside that land is counted. But if you count the Saudis themselves, somewhere between 15 and 20 million max. And they're spending the third ranking government in the world that spends that much money. Qatar, which has a population of 300 and some odd thousand Qataris, about a million with everyone included, has a budget that exceeds the budget of Turkey. Turkey is the largest armed forces in the NATO alliance. And this little Qatar is spending all of this money, $400 billion from Saudi Arabia in the past year since this president came to office, $400 billion from Qatar. The person's making a lot of money. And this money belongs to us. And with the divisions and the splits they put among us and between us, you don't, you don't even get the impression that this money belongs to the Muslims. How can a state like Egypt that has been at war, that has suffered from the Israelis for generations, how, 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 how does the Israeli rulers now become the best friends of the Egyptian rulers? How did this occur? This is what, this is what happens when our masajid and our manabir are empty. Not empty from bodies, but empty from ideas. How come in our lifetime, Iran was Islamic when the Shah was ruling, but Iran turned into a Magian or a Zoroastrian or a Shi'i country when it became Islamic. Where did this come from? Ask yourself. Before Iraq went to war in 1980, it had 40 billion dollars extra in its budget. After the war, it was in debt for a hundred billion dollars. That's not to speak about the million or so that were killed in that war. How did all of this happen? Where did all of this come from? Is there something? Is it, Show us. Quote to us the ayat and the hadiths that legitimize something like that. And now there's a trillion dollars flowing here into the budget in this country from these types of enemies of each other. And they have another program. They want to rebuild Iraq. These people are sucking the financial oxygen out of those countries. Now they want to... They, they destroyed Iraq. Now they say you have to pay us $400 billion to rebuild Iraq. 
how how is it that a force of five to eight thousand militia members in Lebanon called Hezbollah how is it that they withstood the Israeli war against them for over 33 days and the armies and the armed forces with all of the hundreds of billions of dollars of budgets that they have and the weapons they surrendered in a matter of 6 to 12 hours we can't think why is this happening are we to be dead in our minds Saudi Arabia and Qatar now because of these military contracts when Allah is no longer in their minds and in their hearts they become enemies of each other and others are making a profit out of that animosity 800 billion dollars are flowing as a matter of signing those military contracts someone did the math I didn't if we were counting every dollar for every second we have if you do the math it's going to take 12,726 years to count 800 billion dollars and that's just what's in the news recently forget about what was before that and forget about what's coming after that the GCC, the Gulf Cooperation Council, exports 19 million barrels of oil a day. If each barrel is sold at $65, that's a revenue of $454 billion a year. If the barrel is sold at $100, that's a revenue of around 7 hundred billion dollars a year so if we take the average the income in these GCC corrupt administrations is around 575 billion dollars a year add on to that around a hundred and twenty five billion dollars of gas and other petrochemicals and we have around 700 billion dollars every year and this excludes Iraq which is the third largest country in oil reserves in the world there's something you probably never heard this word there's something in Islamic fiqh called zakat al-rikaz. This is the zakat that is due on natural resources. And petroleum is included in that. If we were to take one-fifth of the $700 billion every year, that's $140 billion that are due because of zakat al-rikaz where is it they say oh they're giving us a million dollars an islamic association here another islamic organization say oh we received five hundred thousand dollars a third islamic outfit say oh they were generous they gave us two million dollars how does that compare to a hundred and forty billion dollars that is due by the law of Allah that would be enough in and of itself to pay off all the debts of the Muslims in two or three years all the debts would be paid off and there would no longer be hunger among the Muslims in the world and to add to all of this finally there was an agreement at the turn of the last century it's called Bretton Woods and at the time the dollar was backed up by gold 
The price of gold was $35 to an ounce at that time. What happened though was a universal mammoth, mammoth trick. In 1971, because of the Shah in Iran and the ruling family in Arabia, ruling families in Arabia, they decided to agree with the United States that all their petroleum should be purchased with dollars. And so when that agreement took place, the decision was, we're going to break the relationship between the dollar and gold. So if a country, let's say Bangladesh or Pakistan, they wanted to buy oil from Saudi Arabia or Iran, they would have to pay with dollars. They can't pay with their own currency. So they come and buy dollars from the United States. And the United States, because it's no longer supporting its dollars with gold, is printing dollars. And it takes a few pennies to print a dollar. The cost of the ink and the paper, a few pennies. You print a hundred dollar bill, which would cost you a few pennies. And then the other countries in the world would have to obtain those dollars with real money, with their own budgets, with their own money. And if anyone ever thinks about breaking loose from this arrangement, then they will cause all hell to break out. And what you are seeing in live time, today, now, is a potential for World War III because there are plans to break out of this universal international swindling of the world economy. These are the types of issues that, oh no, you can't say this in Jumu'ah. You can't say this in a khutbah. Why? Who said? Bring me your proof. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna attiba'ah. وَأَرِنَا الْبَاطِلَ بَاطِلًا وَارْزُقْنَا اجْتِنَابَهُ وَلَا تَجْعَلْهُ مُلْتَبِسًا عَلَيْنَا وَاجْعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا رَبَّنَا لَا تَجْعَلْنَا فِتْنَةً لِلْقَوْمِ الظَّالِمِينَ رَبَّنَا نَجِّنَا بِرَحْمَتِكَ مِنَ الْقَوْمِ الْكَافِرِينَ ربنا افتح بيننا وبين قومنا بالحق وأنت خير الفاتحين ربنا عليك توكلنا وإليك أنبنا وإليك المصير ربنا لا تجعل في قلوبنا غلا للذين آمنوا ربنا إنك رؤوف رحيم ربنا صل على محمد وبارك على محمد وعلى آله ربنا صل على إبراهيم وبارك على إبراهيم وعلى آله بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم 
لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا Allah, <laughs> 